Robert. No, no, dear Lord. <laughs> I'll hold up cue cards for you. Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And I'm Christina. And this is Anti-Wave, a podcast all about taking the the typical mores of Hollywood, wrapping them up into a little ball, and shoving them up the ass of Hollywood, right? Dear you know, Lord. For a minute, I thought he was getting poetic and eloquent, but he has I to I was worried about profanity. where that was going. And together, we have over 100 years of wow. experience in the film entertainment industry. Yes, it's all mine. <laughs> <laughs> None of this television crap either. It's all movies. And this week, we have a very special guest, the cinematographer Graham Willoughby, right? Yes. And what film did he... DP, Ira. Oh, uh, interesting you said DP and not cinematography. Yeah. Well, yeah, I did. Yeah, Why? Was, is there a problem with that? No, I'm like, will, uh, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be? Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, Had to get in at least one. Yeah. And uh, this week's top five is what, Christina? Top five neighbors. Top five neighbors. Well, excuse me. Movies with neighbors. Top five neighbors. Well, but it has to relate. Okay, obviously. It's implied, I hope. Yes, I would yeah. hope so. We're not just going to talk about your neighbor who lives next door. Right. Yeah. Well, this is not. This a is movie. a film podcast. I people like haven't to figured it out by now. Okay? I ran into one of your neighbors in the elevator. He was very nice. Yeah. Maybe we should include him as we did, top five. Did the bloody hatchet in his hand give you that nope, indication? No, nope. he had a suitcase. <laughs> With eight, eight heads inside that <laughs> suitcase? All right. Um... You guys just want to get into the movie straight away? Or you yes. Want, or do you, uh, Always. Yeah, what do you want? Do you want the movie? 100%. Do you want the week in review? Tell me what you want. There's I, no week in review, dude. Uh, excuse me. Are, you have something? To, Ari, damn right something, I do. Is there something you want to talk about? Well, first of all, um, Summer read, Old, did, Summer New, we now present the week in review. And I do want to mention just the one film that I happened to see. Very impressive, Ira. Now, but there's this is part of the theme, and it's a coincidence, because the movie is called The Neighbor. So, uh, is it on my top five? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Actually, to be it's not. However, I saw this 2008. <laughs> it stars an actor I never heard of, but he's done a lot. Have you ever heard of a William Fitchner? F-I-C-H-T-N-E-R? Yeah. Does Fitchner. that name mean anything yeah. to you? And he's done You know him. You know him. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You've heard of him? And uh, it was, it, this was about an attractive young woman who lives next door. <laughs> however, however. Really? That yes, seems to be a, a common theme. An attractive it young woman. I think that's how our, all of Iris films start. This movie received quite nice reviews, high ratings and rankings, and it's not a thriller it's not a psychological drama. It's just about his infatuation with her, and it destroys both marriages. And oh, it takes great. its time. It breathes. Talk about a little bit too much. I read some reviews about breathe it. Breathe or very, breed? Bre- <laughs> but it's called The Neighbor, and I thought that's quite a coincidence because of what our theme is, our top five being top five neighbors. Uh, okay, that's, you know my, what I watched this that's week? my week in review. You know what I watched this week? I actually watched last oh, night. you did? Yeah. I watched the Ali Wong uh, Hard Knock Wife special. Oh. Have you seen it? Hard Knock Wife? Yeah. Isn't you, that a song from Annie? That's a Hard Knock it's Wife. It's a Hard Knock Wife for... Sorry. The, <laughs> I'm do you know Ali Wong? nothing over no, here, guys. No, no. Tell say us about nothing. this. Say nothing? Say nothing. <laughs> she's, she's a conscientious I'm just gonna objector. I'm just, I'm just going to sit this one out until <laughs> all this stops. Yeah, that, it never stops. That's the problem. I, I never it, heard it, of this It, film it goes away and then enough. it comes back. So until next week. Like an infection. <laughs> a bad, bad infection. Do you know Ali Wong, Ira? I'm not familiar with Ali. I, I think you would really w- like her a lot. Uh, she's in, yeah, producer Joe is nodding emphatically. Producer, uh, producer, Ali Wong is a stand-up comedian who, she, she works in the blue. Blue being a euphemism for. That's not a euphemism. 
She just works. She paints herself entirely blue. She's like blue man group stand-up comedy. That's what she does. I think you're messing with me. I am messing with you. Yeah. No, she, that's the expression of when you use foul language. Yeah. But she's very yeah, you know, gross. And uh, she paints a picture with her words. I think you would really like her a lot. <coughs> and Excuse she's me. Asian. Oh. Ira, you need to go home and watch this tonight. <coughs> Um, and I sincerely want a text from you when you finish watching. Ira, it. Ira has a lot of things to watch. He has all the movies from uh, the list from the last episode. Yeah, would Ira watch? That was a yes, yes, and a yes, practically. <laughs> and you know what? I, I have embarrassed to admit, talking about our top five for this week, I have not seen The Girl Next Door, and you've been urging me to see that film. Yeah. Isn't that correct? Yeah, and that probably would be in my top five if mm-hmm. I had seen the film, well, but I haven't seen it yet. So I've got a, a lot got, to do. You got a lot to do. All right, well, hey, let's uh, let's move into the film, shall we? Let's, let's do, do it. it. Robert, uh, talk us through it. All right, Won't You Be My Neighbor is a documentary about the one and only Mr. Fred Rogers. If you don't know who Mr. Fred Rogers is, we can't help you. I don't, uh, go watch the documentary, I guess. And, and where were you all through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even some of the 90s? Mr. Rogers, it kind of follows his whole career in show business and really his life, his beliefs, and his philosophy about life and television and how that kind of interweaves with uh, some of the different episodes that he recorded and how they reflected certain aspects of life that were happening at the time. So, what do you guys think? Christina, Christina you want to kick us off? Um, I, I just One of the things I thought was really interesting about this film was um, the director Morgan Neville's intention to make a film about Mr. Rogers' ideas. Um, not so much his life, you know, yeah. we, we were just talking about this in relationship to films with artists, how it's, you know, it's about their life story. It's about, you know, their rise, their difficult childhood, whatever. This was really about what he felt like his calling was and what ideas and what sort of ethos he was trying to convey with the show. So I found that very interesting. I, I did too, you know, and I know this sounds like I was, you know, our, our episode last week was all about Harold and Lillian and in that movie, I talked about how it almost felt like there were so many things going on where there was a love story, but there were also what I almost refer to as like uh, behind the scenes featurettes that you would find on a documentary. And this somehow did something similar, but it it felt more cohesive for me. This film felt like it was really looking at different aspects of his philosophy. And it really was, as you said, a, a movie about his philosophy and it, it, it used parts of his life to kind of accent that, but it was really, here's who he is. We should also mention how much we were all really looking forward to seeing this. Like, yeah, Ira. I, we, we, well, <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. Christina, you and I were... I, we were looking forward to seeing this, yes. I, we were... Like, we were really excited. I, I, I was tumescent. I, I, well, it's good to know, and I thank you so much for not telling me yesterday when I was sitting next to you. Um, but uh, I, I, I have to say that I, I, you know, I told both you guys like I cried every time I saw a trailer for this in the mm-hmm. theater, like embarrassing myself in front of friends because it just really hit me. And you know, by the way, real quick, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Were no, you going to make no, a point? No, go ahead. I have to say something because on this podcast, I've been I keep referring to that music in the podcast as, um, as Philip Glass music and it's not it is minimalism but la- last night after the movie that song from the trailer was yeah. in my head and I'm yeah, like me too. where it's do I fucking infectious. know this from Yeah, and I kept thinking I'm like okay it's a Philip Glass song and I started looking into it it's not it's Michael Nyman oh. and I was like why do I know Michael Nyman's work and it was from Man on Wire yeah. that's how I knew it yeah. and then I started doing some research on him now huh. I want to point out huh. guess what movie he composed <laughs> 
don't know. He composed the music for the piano, <gasps> which you brought up recently. Really? Isn't that so funny? Guess of what, course. Guess what other movie he did music for? Uh-uh. The Draftsman movie that you brought up oh just the other gosh, day. Oh my gosh, isn't that so crazy? I think this song has penetrated your head because we've been talking about it so much the trailer and that song in particular Probably because all these movies like he all his work like is built it's up building, it's yes. it's some like subconscious element I ha- of you. i have i have gotten programmed by him don't to you love think it, totally and the draftman you said you you said last week when you talked about it you hadn't even thought about that movie you hadn't seen it in a long time right right, right. isn't that crazy it is crazy it the you know the, it just speaks to you know how powerful the score and the and the you know and the music of of a film is and how it really gets gets you. I think that's what's going on. I, I think, think we you see must the, be right. Yeah. Wow, wow, crazy! And that's why you like the piano. Yeah, well, well, it's one of the reasons. When was the last time? Reason. When was the last time you saw the piano? It's been maybe like it's definitely been more than five years. I wouldn't say it's been ten years, but it's been more than five. Have you actively thought about it before the past two or three months? No, I, not really. I bet that he, because we've like been just hearing this, the trailer and yeah. seeing the trailer triggered all triggered that. that. I bet you're right. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Yeah, don't that's you think? So interesting. This is a breakthrough. This is like this is like therapy. I really thought that was interesting when I found that out. Yeah. I went, "Fuck, man! I think I just got a little window into Christina's mind." <laughs> yeah. Uh, what little of it remains. Yeah. Uh, um, so did I know? We, that seriously, especially for the two of you, there were lofty expectations with this film. Did it meet your expectations? Well, hold on. Let's tease that before we get into that. Let's talk to our guest. Do you want to do that? Uh, yes. Let's do it. Let's talk to our guest and uh, cinematographer. All right. We'll be right back. Hi, Graham. This is Robert and Ira and Christina. How are you? Good. Tired, <laughs> sleepy, <laughs> feeling somnolent. <laughs> we're talking to you. You're on East Coast time, and uh, we're obviously on West Coast time. But we uh, we wanted to sit down and talk with you. And you're you you know your own job, but just in case listeners don't know, you're the cinematographer for "Won't You Be My Neighbor." And uh, we wanted to ask you a few questions about the film. And uh, I guess to begin with, and just ask, how did you get involved in the project? What what was the the beginning there, and and your involvement? Uh, I've had a relationship with the director that uh, we've been working on a few different projects together and um, those had gone well and so we continued to work together and which um, we my neighbor. What, was, uh, what projects had you worked with him on? 20 feet from starting. Uh, I checked your credits. I can tell you. <laughs> Well, no, I did. You know, you've obviously worked on most of his projects with him. How did you guys meet up? What? um, How did you fall in together? What was the first thing you worked Uh, on? Deeply, deeply interesting story. Uh, My wife and and he were friends from back in the day. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's cool. Is there a? You know, (laughs) as I was watching this film. I noticed the kind of the shallow focus that you were doing. It was so beautiful, and the, the interviews really stood out. I'm assuming that's that's your work, and I'm wondering what your approach is towards you know towards making the environments more beautiful. Like, I, I'm do you go in you go into their houses? Is that where you're interviewing most of the people and in, in their own environment? Yeah, you're generally just given whatever environment you know, fate or the producers have handed you, um, and you just try your best to make it as cinematic as possible, and that's, you know, kind of one of the sort of greater challenges of the job. We're in these houses, uh, people's houses, or sometimes we're in museums. I think we shot one of the scenes in 
a spare room of the Natural History Museum in Philly. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a beautiful marble room, and we shot a few of the images in there, and you just, you know, you just kind of get, you get the blessings of the locations God, or, or you get the sort of um, wherewithal of... It's interesting. It's interesting because the juxtaposition between the the shots of Mr. Rogers, usually on his set with the the very deep focus and you know the kind of traditional television lighting and approach, and yours is more cinematic. And I thought that was a really interesting juxtaposition between those those kinds of of shots, and it really added a, a different layer, visually speaking, to the whole film. That's interesting. It's funny to think about it. It never occurred to me to, to, to try and emulate what it would have looked like had his crew shot the interviews. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> well, so now we need to go back and reshoot the whole thing? <laughs> I mean... That's no yeah, problem. Maybe, uh, maybe. You know, I don't know. We have to just, let's see how it does and hope we get first. If it goes the, the, well, then. But if it doesn't, then we'll just redo the whole thing. Excellent. What could be better than that? <laughs> it, it, it looked like... I mean, it looked for a documentary that this had rather a short timeline uh, a short production schedule a short for a documentary a shorter production schedule did that did that was that your experience as well well i feel like we were, we were shooting it for a few years um oh wow it could have been a year and a half uh, but that's but it, short it, i don't you know i think that there are certainly longer productions and there are shorter ones that yeah. some felt pretty much right at the right up in the middle of that I, you know, I have a, a question about some of the content. Was there was there anything missing from the final cut of the film that stands out in your mind of, you know, an interview that maybe somebody said something or a story that somebody told about Mr. Rogers and, and, and you know, you maybe it, they didn't, it didn't fit into the cut of the film that stands out in your mind? I will say that, that the interview with the, I can't remember his name, but it was the grip or one of the technicians on the uh, from the original crew. Right. Pretty much every word that he breathed, just you know, it was gold. <laughs> he was such a great character. He, w- um, he was. He was so outgoing. He was a great yeah, character. He, just, he was a salty guy. <laughs> you know, Graham, and he could uh, he could he could help me. This uh, this is something I've always wanted to ask a cinematographer on, in, in particularly on a narrative film. Is there a distinction between cinematographer and director of photography? And if so, what is that distinction? Uh, I think it would be a Coke or a Pepsi um, and a blind taste test. Uh, for me, they're they're. I'm going to steal that. That's a that's brilliant. I'm going to steal that at some point, and somebody asks me that question. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody who I've offended uh, by not making that distinction, but to me, they would be, this, they would be a, the same thing. What are you working on next? Are there any other projects in the hopper? Uh, just finished, um, I just finished a season of an HBO show called Why It's the Next Problem Areas, and that's been approved for a second season, so that's exciting. Great. I'm currently working on a long-form uh, episodic documentary following up-and-coming stand-up comedians that uh, that'll come out. I don't know, probably sometime next year. Oh, so you've been following Ira then? <laughs> <laughs> we 
he doesn't know it yet, but soon we're, we're going to drop the veil and, and reveal that we've been following all this time. It's funny. I've been I've been doing a documentary on Ira too, but I've just been setting up cameras in his house, watching him walk around, <laughs> super creepy style. That's a, that's a scary thought, Graham. Believe us. Um, also, I was curious. I'm assuming you were able to successfully make the transition from uh, analog to digital, and if so, how did you deal with that change? I I came when I was coming up uh, in the lighting department. I the film was king and as that transition happened it sort of happened in cahoots with my transition hmm. so I probably shot about a thousand feet of film so but for me I was part of that newer generation of just working in digital uh, and, and not having really ever gotten a chance to hit the red button on film all that much it's been interesting to see how uh, you know to just be right in the middle of that bridge as those two worlds are kind of, you know, stretching that bridge and stretching it and waiting for it to snap. Mm. Uh, this is one random question. I read on your uh, website, on your bio, that your first day on set, your first set ever, the DP was launched <laughs> off his dolly. I, I, I was wondering if you could tell me exactly how that happened. That sounded spectacular. He's regretting putting that in his bio now because now he has to tell the story. <laughs> It was it was the most absurd day ever. It totally had me hooked. Uh, we, I was working for free. We worked for eighteen hours in the rain for a salt and pepper music video, and uh, the um, our third meal was a crazy deep fried chicken wing with all forty bones in it, and uh, on the, between two pieces of Wonder Bread. Um, just a madness in the making. And during the day, the best boy got electrocuted. The, one of the grits screamed at somebody who, um, out of out of exasperation, uh, about how if the DP didn't know where, he was, where to put the light, he should just you know not be doing the job. But he didn't know that he was actually screaming to the DP. <laughs> and then in the meantime. At one point, there's a super fast, super long dolly move. Of course, I said a big guy in um, the Bronx or something. And then one of the moments that, you know, I don't know, maybe a BNC or something got on the dolly track, which caused this cascade of errors and <laughs> launched the DP off the dolly. It's just, it was a, a beautiful mayhem, and I loved it. Has have any of your sets since measured up to that? Have there been any terrible, Nothing terrible has days? Come close. I <laughs> spectacular. The chaos that I've been, that I've experienced on sets has been mostly diplomatic and political at this point. But it, just as ugly, but not as uh, poetic to, to describe. <laughs> so everything is downhill from now on. <laughs> and everything in life in general, you know, it's just downhill. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you. Do you have a, a background of watching Mr. Rogers when you were a kid? Was that any sort of influence on you as a child? I did have, I did have a... It, it, it's funny, but with this documentary, it's been the most that people have... It's been the most impactive. I've worked on several documentaries that, has, that have you know, been in cinema and have been on TV and have reached lots of people, including my parents and my relatives and my friends and people I don't know. But for some reason, this documentary, more than any other documentary I've ever worked on, has has created this 
this groundspring of of reaction uh, beyond anything else. You know, people really reaching out to me and emailing saying, "I can't wait for this." This guy really impacted me in my life, and this guy, uh, you know, is a is a huge part of, of who I am and has affected me. And, and just also in this day and age, with with what's going on, to have somebody who could represent that um, that kind of defensive approach to people and you know, community and and difference, it's it's been a it's been a shockingly, um, it's been shocking the amount of kind of this, the amount of response and the kind of response I'm getting to, and, and especially the of the velocity that people have been able to see screeners wow. and that kind of a thing. Um, hey, Graham, I was hoping to do something with you. And uh, while we've got everybody on the line, because you're our guest for the show this week, um, producer Joey is going to start a timer. And she's going to start a timer for one minute. <laughs> And I'd like to have you sit with us in silence for a minute. Would you mind doing that? I want you to think. I want you to think of someone that helped you get where you are, and we're all going to do it together. Let's I, I, Robert, all. I don't know if this is good pod. This is great podcasting. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. We're going to sit I'm here for, for, for one like minute. It. Breaking the mold. Yeah, I, yeah. This is breaking the mold, man. Okay. Exactly. I'm ready. So we're going to take one minute. Producer Joey's going to tell us when to begin, and I, everybody just think about how we got here, and people think about someone who helped you along the way. So let's do it, all right? Producer Joey's going to start the timer now. And that was the longest minute in radio history. Uh, by, by the way, I think we need to make it clear that that was a reference to a specific beat within the documentary. I want to make sure our listeners are privy to that. Otherwise, this was nonsensical. They, they were going to use that as the original trailer. They were just going to say, everybody's sitting calm. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Graham, no, can, I ha- can I ask who you were thinking of? Uh, yeah, I mean, clearly Morgan has been a huge part of everything that I've done because he's, he's just, he's just amazing. Everything that he's done has been amazing. Um, also, uh, earlier on, one of my first references were, um, sort of the first people that hired me was for a TV show, kind of obscure TV show, a little bit of a makeover show created by the same people that are now making love and hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Toby wow. and uh, Toby Broad and Stephanie Springman, those two guys gave me a start in a TV show called Can't Get a Date. And on the same show, there was a guy named Joe Victorine, who's now uh, a super accomplished DP himself. Mm. And he was my AC back then. And we've just been super fun to sort of grow in our careers together. So those, 
I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Somebody's sending me horrible, <laughs> um, you know, emails with no sender attached um, about how they hate me now. But, uh, but those are the ones that I was thinking of. That's nice. Christine, who are you thinking of? Oh, so many people. So many people. Give us, give us one. Uh, teachers who really taught me stuff and my husband and yeah. uh, and classmates, like fellow filmmakers and... Ira, what about you? Who are you thinking of? I was thinking of my mom and my dad. And if they were here, they'd be very proud. And uh, and I mean this sincerely, Robert. I was thinking of you. Aww. Seriously. They love each other. Just FYI, yeah, Graham. That's so awful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now, Robert, what about you? Are you going to have to say it? Yeah, no. Is it I was mutual? Thinking, Let's find out if it was mutual. No. I was thinking of everyone but Ira. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, literally the entire world the except entire for one black spot. One. <laughs> that's touching. Didn't even occur to you. Uh, oh, yeah, that dude? Yeah, uh, that's right. I thought about you at minute six, uh, second 61. That's when I thought about you. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about this, uh, this producer that helped me out when I, was, uh, when I was just getting started in the film industry. And I was thinking about our film Aww, together. Aw, okay. yeah. see? No, he wasn't. I and I just that. finished our, uh, our our first feature film this past fall. And uh, and so we, we've been through the, the gauntlet together. We have. Yeah. We have. With more to come. More gauntlets. All right. But that's All enough right. about us. Hey, yes. congratulations. Graham, Thank thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. It's been, it's been great talking to you, man. Thank you, Graham. Hey, if you come out to Los Angeles anytime, let's have you in studio and, uh, and we'll talk to you then. So next time you come out this way, give us a holler. All right. All right. Thanks a lot for talking. Thank you with so us. much for being part Sleep of this. Sleep well. Thanks. <laughs> Good night, Graham. Good Yeah, he was nice. Nice guy. It was so nice of him to talk to us when it's so late there. Three hours later, he's in Montreal. Yeah. He stayed up till midnight. But we didn't sing him a lullaby, like we promised. Let's call, call him, him back. back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call him back and sing to him. That oh, would you, actually I, be I'm very sure fun. he would really love that. Actually, he would. Oh. Call him back. Yeah. Tempting. Um, all right. So, a lot of what he had to say was interesting. I, that I read that was so nice of you to to mention me in your minute of silence. Well, it's not oh, true, so but sweet. I just said to get a reaction. No, it's really nice guys, of you to. You guys think of each other all the actually, time. Actually, it is true. I only think of you when I masturbate. I knew that was coming somehow. How did I know that was coming? <sighs> That's why I don't masturbate. <laughs> oh dear. Um. All right, so now we were talking about so the Something film. else we also haven't You covered. asked a really great question before we talked. Thank you. That's right, before our guests Before spoke. we spoke to Grant. Yeah, you two both had lofty expectations. Yes. Truly lofty, more than my expectations. Christina, did it meet? I want to hear, hear what Robert thinks. <laughs> I, Robert, did it meet your expectations? It, Do you feel like it did? It zigged when I thought it was going to zag. Oh, interesting. You, did, but you probably liked that. I did. Mm-hmm. Yep, I liked it. Uh, I really liked this film a lot. Uh, I did get teary-eyed a few times. And uh, I think some of the things that they did in the film were really interesting. I think, um, okay, the choices that they made in this film are unlike other choices I've seen in a documentary, Hmm, especially about a figure like him. For example, at his funeral, to talk about the protesters across the street, that is not a choice that I think most documentaries would have made. To address that and bring that up. Like, why even mention it? Right. In the last seven minutes where there's an emotional swell right. to mention there such, such a negative I'll, influence. I'll give right. you another example. To address the fact that many people thought that he was a marine killer and everything else. Yeah. Why bother bringing that up? Right. And I think there... In, in the example, I was, talk, I was talking to producer Joey last night. And I said, you know, if you were to do a, a documentary film about Richard Gere... 
And then in the middle of it, you said, oh, yeah, there's this whole myth that he has a gerbil up his ass. Right. You know, that we'd be like, what the fuck? Like, that's right. got some real balls to do for it. And, yeah. and there were several other moments throughout the film where I'm like, wow. And like, uh, he, he told the gay guy. Okay, to, that's, that's one of, that's, that's what, what I, I found the most speak. troubling. And, but I think Officer that's Clemens. so interesting that they put that in the documentary. I think it's great that they put it in the documentary, but I have to say that I found that, like, I was so on the Mr. Rogers ride. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love that he had studied early childhood development. I believe in his great desire to connect with children and I think that he was a miraculous figure in this field but when he was basically was clear that he had said to officer Clemens um you can't go out to gay clubs anymore we can't we can't let you be gay on openly gay on the show that's not okay that's that I totally get it like I got into different a time. Arg- I, I got want into to speak on this with, point. Well, I got into an argument about my husband. He's like, it was the funding. What are they going to do? Like get all the funding. Pull-? And I was like, I get it. But it's really hard to hear that somebody who sets them up, who sets themselves up to say, I like you basically just as you are say to somebody else. Yeah. I like you as you are, but you can't be who you are. And that is why I and like the documentary. Really, okay. I, I agree. I mean, I think it was a really interesting choice, but it killed my buzz. But but again, as, <laughs> wow. as, as intellectually, you know, this is the case that Fred Rogers had no choice because of when this was happening. They would have pulled the plug on the program. Having a homosexual funding. around children, especially. Yes. I mean, just being openly gay is one no thing, choice. but around children, I he think, is no a different. Choice. I mean, I, I again, I understand the realities of the time, but, it, you know, the film, the documentary builds up so much and, and so, sort of the trailer and everything about, you know, how he tackled all these difficult subjects, but not that one. It was just one of those things where I was like, oh, it's just, it just, it made me feel bad. I agree. It was interesting that they brought it up and I, I but it just made me feel bad. And also I think I, the whole fifties aspect, like seeing the, the interior of the, um, of his set, and the the fifties aspect of it, and the curtains, mm-hmm. and taking off your suit and putting on a cardigan like a dad. You know what I mean? There was something that started to get echoed for me watching all of the work that he did, where I was like, "What is going on? What is this?" What do you mean? I don't understand your point. It's it's it's. He was such a strong. You know, the film, the documentary talks a lot about his will and how strong he was. And, you know, how he was, you know, sick as a child and he spent a lot of time in bed and he had to sort of entertain himself and, you know, and how it was easier for him to talk through the puppets and sort of express himself. But there's something, his his love for children, his dedication, his importance, his belief in their worlds, all that was beautiful. But there is something about coming in and enacting a 50s dad that I think speaks to his own experience in a way that was never addressed in the film. Like, there's I'm still something, confused by what you mean, though. He's, he's enacting some fantasy of a father figure that speaks to his own needs more than, I think, children's needs. Do you know what I mean? To come up, like, how do you come up with that set? How do you come up with, you know, it ex- the film explained a lot about the puppets, where the puppets came from, the different things, but it never kind of addressed the set and the changing from the suit into the cardigan, which is such a traditional... It said that he did that in order to make people feel like they were at home. and to Yes, be... but it, it was a tra- it's a very traditional dad, approach. 50s dad approach, not the 60s so much. I mean, although I think dad still did that in the 60s, but it just seemed to me, and I could be completely off base here, but it seemed to me that he was 
enacting a father in his own specific way that had to do with his own childhood, not with like what he, I don't know. There was something vibrating there for me that Hmm. was really. See, I took it as how do we signal to kids that this is like, let's get comfortable. That's how I took it was, all right, we're going to take off the suit and tie and I'm going to put on a sweater and sneakers and we're going to kind of. Uh, we're going to play a little bit. I agree. And and when I watched the show as a child, that is exactly how I interpreted it. I understand that that's how it's explained. It's just that the mise-en-scene of the set and mm. the actual action of what he did every time, it just felt like to me that there was like something else there. Hmm. I don't know why. Well, I, I want to talk to Ira just a minute about it. Ira, you were not excited to see this film. Actually, <laughs> I wasn't. No, I you wasn't. Weren't. Christina yeah. and I kind of had to convince you to see it. Yeah. What did you think? I think this... Almost as a flip of what happened the previous week with Harris oh. and Lillian. Oh. Uh, your words. I'm glad the film was made. Uh-huh. It needs oh, to be dear. shown. And here it comes, gang. Oh. For me, it was actually a bit too long. Yeah. yeah. It was. I can see that. I, w- I, can see that. I-, I was feeling that. Like, okay, we get it. And it was getting too long. So I'm echoing your words of last week with the other documentary. Um, I, I First of all, I remember they showed old kinescopes at the beginning with the pie in the face and all that stuff. I'm dating myself right now, but one was Pinky Lee. I don't know if you know who that is, but they kept showing Pinky Lee, and I, my mom got me a Pinky Lee hat. You who? It's me. My name is Pinky Lee. Anyway, you sing that as if I, we're going to recognize. I have Pinky such fond. No, want he to just get compulsively oh. has great to memories. Oh, I see. It. Now yeah, listen, I want to say something, and I, I have to acknowledge this point. I think Fred Rogers was kind of creepy. <laughs> Pinky Lee, Skipper Frank. We had people like Sheriff John, Engineer Bill, Tom Hatton. Do you remember him? Or was that an L.A. syndicated thing with the Popeye cartoons and did the squiggle? Where these people, I felt there was something. Would you want Fred Rogers living next door if he wasn't the TV personality? Yes. Wait, I let mean, me say I, this again. He's yeah. not the Fred Rogers. No. His name is Fred. Would you let him yeah. babysit your kids? I, I really, I, I, I do, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I do his, too. I get it. You'd him baby, but I would. Without sure. him as a personality. His persona was, was, it's just very interesting. It's very, it's very, it's very, God, it's very asexual. Like, you know, they, they yeah. address the, I think, yeah, they that's, address that's the true. sort of the rumors of him being gay and, you know, Officer Clemens, um, character name officer clemens real name not officer clemens um <laughs> i think uh, you know who you're talking about though uh you know he was like he wasn't gay like i would have like you can call I him the black gay. gay guy too right but, he was you like, know. i was gay i would have picked up off if he was gay he wasn't gay and i didn't think he was gay but there is this very british almost reserve yeah. to him that is very transatlantic kind unusual of, yeah for somebody with his background i don't know it was just very it's odd. Francois I, Clemens is his name, by the way. Francois Clemens. Okay, thank, thank you, you Francois. Joey. I, yeah. I, I, I want to say that I did not dislike it quite as much as you disliked the previous documentary. Well, I know that's about. true because but I saw not, you literally sitting on the edge of your seat a couple times. Was it really? Yeah. You saw me leaning forward. Literally. There were two times where I was leaning forward because I was enthralled. Yes. There were some beats that really spoke to me. Yeah. So, yes, I'm, I'm going to give it a much higher mark than a C+. However, for me... Uh, I didn't have the same expectations as the both of you, and I thought it was a good documentary, but I wasn't blown away by it, and I, I'm not sure why I wasn't. I don't think this is a film that's going to get, for example, like on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't think there's much to complain about here. I think it's mm-hmm. going to have a really good critic score. It does already. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Because why, why wouldn't you like this film? 
It doesn't give you a reason to not like it. Now, Christine, I think you're coming up with probably the most unlikable reason. But it wasn't. It wasn't that. It also it ended a little bit. Mm. I mean, like he did so many triumphant things Mm -hmm. um, when he argued for funding uh, in the Senate. That's when I started getting teary eyed. I I I was like, I mean, you know, to have someone speak for children and the value of public television and all that. It you know from from his heart without, you know, reading, just because he believed it. You know, there were really so many powerful moments, but the film instead sort of ends on, on you know, sort of him coming back after 9-11. You know what I mean? And it was, it's a very, and sort of a reflection more on the times that we're in. So it's a very, it was a very sort of troubled ending where we see sort of a reduced influence of that world and i think that that was what the filmmaker was going for it just made me feel well it's sad. also it, it, they talked a lot about his doubt and his yeah. he got bitter yeah well he i don't know if it was bi- bitter i, I think he got bitter. i don't think it was I bitter he... bitter implies like he was frustrated with the whole ordeal but it seemed like he disappointed. was disappointed i think he was scared i think i mean even they talked about the the note that they found of his where he was right. talking about is this you know, I still have to go back and do this and I got to kind of, you know, muscle up here and try to make this happen. And I feel like that's also what was going on with September 11th is yeah. he had to sit down again and go, all right, let me try to do this. And I don't know if this is really going to do any good here. Right. 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 And I just, it, it was a very sort of, it was a place of doubt. And I guess it ended sort of on doubt as opposed. And I, yeah. I, you know, again, I thought that that was very, you know, just to talk about this podcast, very anti-wave um, yeah. and in terms of an ending. Um, but I, I I felt a little I felt a little I wanted I guess I wanted more of a more of a feel good experience where it started so positive and I guess I wanted to kind of come back to that and really relish that before the film was over. I think you really nailed what I liked about it, mm-hmm. which is that it didn't have this expected feel, and maybe we're just not liking you're not liking what I did like about it, but I like that it ended with that. I like the really, I mean, um, unusual aspects of Mr. Rogers that you don't hear about. Mm-hmm. And I like that they're addressing those things in the in the film. I, I, again, I really like that. I just, I was, I was really set up for a sort of a, I think what was really speaking to me in the trailer was this sort of, this idea of neighborhoods and these, and what the seventies was like. And mm. like, and I, I guess I really wanted more of that. And I nostalgia of that era. Yeah. I wanted a little bit more of what the era feels like. And I kind of thought it was going there. Cause it's like, you know, we deal with divorce, we deal with assassination, we deal with all these things. And I wanted to see more of life of those times, I guess. Mm. And like, sort of, I mean, I love the footage of him, uh, you know, in what I assume is some part of New York, you know, playing, um, yeah. uh, in the streets, uh, in ping the streets. pong, yeah, ping yeah. pong in the streets, and I—I I mean, I love that footage and the idea of neighbors and neighborhoods. And I guess I just wanted—we saw a lot about the neighborhood he created. I guess I wanted to see a little bit more about how he that, impacted America. How that, yeah, yeah, how that, how that translated more. I mean, I guess so. I'd like another three hours of the documentaries. I guess what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, they had the archival footage. Sure. Holy. Holy goodness. I mean, in the in the press kit, it talked about all the footage that they had access to and they found and they were given. Um, oh, wow. What a treasure trove. So much. It's just it's a, it was really incredible. From one that of the perspective. one of the stories about you were talking before about him being creepy. One of the things that I had seen in a previous documentary about Mr. Rogers, and it was actually hosted or narrated by Michael Keaton. 
Michael Keaton got his start on Mr. Rogers. Uh, they're from really? both from Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah. And so he talked about the influence that he had had. And so he's kind of, um, he's hosting it and we kind of, kind of walking around and kind of talking about Mr. Rogers. And then it starts cutting to all these, you know, talking heads about him. And one of the stories from that documentary that was so amazing that it stuck with me. And it's such a great embodiment, I think, of who Mr. Rogers was. They said that one time, like in the 80s, Mr. Rogers got into an elevator and there were a bunch of people with him and they were kind of taking notes and talking about the show and everything. And as they're talking, the elevator doors open up and this punk gets on and he's got the full on mohawk and piercings and tattoos, leather jacket. And he gets into the elevator and just, you know, total, like just straight up punk and sees Mr. Rogers. And they said he just melted Melted. and was like, Oh, are you Mr. Rogers? And just kind of warmed up and was like, and and Mr. Rogers to his credit was like, yeah, hi, it's nice to meet you. And just took the time and got to know the guy. And was like, there you go. His, his, his ability to connect with like, I love that segment where he's talking to the child whose cat, you yeah. know, was killed and then, you know, and then died. And or the children with the the animal whose ears, the stuffed animal whose ears fell off. I mean, his ability to kind of get to children on that level. On that level was I mean, he he at least in the footage that we saw, you know, there were so many examples of him just looking past everything to make the child feel that their world mattered. I think one of the things that he does and you know, I work with kids all the time. Like I work with that age of I did tonight. You know, I sat down for uh, you know, for four hours talking with ten year olds. I can't believe they let me do that. But anyway, uh one of the things that he did and I really I admire is his he doesn't talk down to them. And you'll notice even though he does have puppet voices and he will use those puppets he does listen to them and he hears what they're, what they're saying, but he, he speaks the same way that he speaks to everyone, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, whatever adult is on the show, he'll speak to them the same way that he'll speak to a child. Can I, can I say the other thing that was troubling? Or Ira, you want to? No, no, I want to hear the other. The other thing that was troubling is, like, I get that a pie in the face is not like the High, best. Highbrow humor. Yeah, it's not the best. It's not everything you want for children's television. So two things. One is, I think superheroes have their place. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I mean, he really kind of hated, you know, uh, resolution of the, first of all, the idea of superheroes. And I get, like, it's dangerous. Like, I get, you know, the kids wanting to interact, interact, enact superheroes, adventures being dangerous. But, like, there's a place for superheroes, and they are very empowering. And I think that shows that have people fighting is not the worst thing. Like, it is not like, a terrible thing to have that and then so i kind of so you like, like the the commercial where they're throwing the the guns through the television and the kids yes, are that catching was perfect them. i was like why can't they do that for my daughter exactly <laughs> um but no i mean that was a great commercial wasn't yeah, it? it really was um but uh yeah no so <laughs> i just want to go buy one of those guns i i felt like it there was a part of point of his part of his point of view was so focused that he couldn't see the good in the other parts mm-hmm. that was outside of his world mm-hmm. so i but i mean that's fine mm-hmm. the other thing is a lot of children's programming actually has come back around to this. There really are shows now where goodness is very much the focus of the show mm-hmm. and good behavior is rewarded. So it's interesting. He's like, you know, I wish there was more of this. And right now, I mean, at least in terms of what my daughter's watching, there really is in a lot of shows. So I thought that was quite interesting. 
What were you going to say, Aaron? I, <laughs> I'm reluctant to articulate this, but I will anyway, and I'm not a curmudgeon. Get ready. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> said dear. Ira, try to convince everybody, including Ira himself, Ira he's not a curmudgeon. All right, I, here, here comes the drop I, for the end of the show. Here we go. I have an issue about this entitlement stuff, about being calling kids special. You're not special. You're an average kid. Now, listen. Get an A on that spelling test on Friday. That action will be special. It's 100%. You got an A. But by calling everybody, you're so special, you're so... It's like the snowflake mentality. Yeah. And it's diluting us. But it's you, very, but very But they address base. that. It, they address that in the film. Yeah, they do. But it was still his persona. He still did it. And but, I get very anxious, and this is part of what's going on right now. You've heard me vent about yeah. this, this thing about entitlement. And I want to say, kid... You're not special. Go out there and design a bridge. Then you're but special. But that isn't the kind of special. I, I, I mean, I respectfully, like, I, I think that's not the kind of special that he's discussing. He's saying you're special because there's nobody else in the world exactly like you. What does that mean? I think what that he means is that you that have that value. He's well, what he to said, what he said value. in his speech was, you don't have to compromise yourself in order for someone to love you. Right. Right. You don't have to do something unique in order for someone to appreciate who you are, and. I think there's there's worth in that sentiment, but I I kind of I agree with what I, you're I saying. I, I agree with your premise, but I think, I, and I think maybe he maybe after forty years of doing that show, Mr. Rogers might have said perhaps special wasn't the best word to have used. Right. I think he might have changed that. I mean, if he saw some of the issues that we're having now, yeah. you know what I mean, like certain and or certain gen, the way that different generations sort of lean in like i'm the last person to think that everybody needs a trophy and everybody right. is so right. like you know right. that isn't i don't believe that but i do think that this was culturally in the 60s and 70s and in to some extent in the 80s that the child there was no children's programming there was nobody to say to children you have worth and i think that that's all he was trying to do he was just trying to say that as a child Things are confusing. You're trying to understand it. You have worth. And like, I, I do. You. I do agree with that. I think a lot of the mentality, even of parents at the time was, you know, shut up, kid. And see, just, you know, see smack not them. heard. Yeah. See yeah. not heard. Like nobody. I really do not think that these were generations where anybody was paying any attention. You know, there are jokes on um, on different sort of mom blogs about, you know, uh, mothers in the 70s. You know, I'm going to you know, I'm going to give my children some tab and then I'm going to smoke while I, you know, I mean, it just it was not a child focused society. I think we've probably gone too far in the other direction, mm-hmm. but yeah. I just think that there was nobody who's saying, like, let me let me create a world for you. Let me show you that this is cool. And like you are cool, too. There, there's a news story literally last week at a high school in New Jersey where they had to the, the cheerleader tryouts and uh, the vast majority did not make the cut. And there was a huge parent protest, and the school changed its policy and allowed everybody who tried out to be on the team. What's the message there? I used to coach the academic decathlon. You could only go to the huge competition with, with nine people, and I had 33 people, so I had to cut the vest. You lost. You're not good enough. Thank you for trying. Come back next year. Maybe next year you'll do better. There's that Listen message. Listen to that there's, sigh. There's nothing wrong with that message. No, I don't think she disagrees with that. I, I don't think... disagree with you. I mean, I just think that they're, well, first of all, we're in a very litigious society where people are, you know, yeah. fighting tooth and not, not only litigious society, but a society where people are really just tiger parents about their children. Like they should have every experience, like nothing should be denied to them. Right. I think and on right. one hand, okay, that's a little crazy. On the other hand, 
there are some there are legitimately some children who are being shut out of experiences because of the way those experiences have been framed like you can't be a cheerleader because you don't fit a certain physical stereotype and maybe those are right and maybe those are wrong but so I, I understand, I guess I understand both sides, but I, I do understand, like, I do think it's crazy to, but I don't know. Maybe it's great that everybody's on the cheerleading team. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I don't, I think now what you have is the people who really would excel in, yeah, in the yeah. cheerleading team, their experience is watered down because they don't get the level of attention because whoever is running that cheerleading team is now having to, to help. Right. Little Susie, who can you know, who doesn't know her head from her from her splits. I mean, I totally get that, but at the same time, like you know, it seems like it's funny. Like I think the people who it does give more people it a chance to have that experience and possibly excel, though. I think failure can be very healthy. I think I so agree. too. I agree. So I agree with you completely. I mean, I and think it can be a learning experience. I don't think because it, it gets you fired up. And you're like, all right, I'm going back. Come back next year. Do it. Watch this. Yeah. Well, some people it gets fired up and some people know. But if you can't handle that rejection, then that's the natural filtration of things. I I, I, I agree, but I think that that's very, I don't think that that's a perspective of this generation. I think you're right. But I think that's the problem. And I think to Ira's point, that's kind of what I think you're crediting Mr. Rogers for kind of initiating. It's a strong well, word, what, catalyst, catalyst, initiating. He, sh- Yeah, I think there was a cause and effect. He was like the first to do that. And then came the, we spoke, the Little League baseball teams where everybody gets a ribbon for trying yeah. even though you lost the game. Do you think, not to be, not to just play compromising discussion here, but do you think that maybe there might be a middle ground where what Christina is saying is that of the time of the 60s and 70s, Maybe that message was needed. During the 80s, perhaps it should have been phased out. And by the 90s, it was kind of like, okay, this is starting to become problematic now because people are taking it a little too serious. What Can you embrace you, what that? What was unique about the 60s or 70s where that message would be Culturally, needed? I don't think there was many programs that were available towards kids. I think there wasn't enough messaging to children that they had that worth, that they had the... They needed a boost of self-confidence, right? Well, and not only that, but early, I mean, childhood development was just starting to be studied in the 60s and 70s, as I understand it. I mean, that was, you know, they talked about that in the documentary, that there were a lot of breakthroughs um, in childhood development and books being written about it. It was an area that was just gaining some notoriety and certainly not one that had trickled down into the sort of public consciousness. So, I mean, I think, I mean, they really talked about Mr. Rogers, I want to say Fred Rogers, but that just sounds weird. Mr. Rogers <laughs> is like is like one of those leaders, and I really truly believe that he was, for better or worse. For better, I mean, I would say for better, but I mean, I I I think anything can come from a good place, and by a few like thirty years later, can no longer be the right thing. You know, I just think things shift. Yeah, mm. I think that that, but I do think that like nobody was doing what he was doing. Ira, let me ask you a question. Is this about Ira's childhood? Yes, it actually is. Mm -hmm. Ira, I want you to do me a favor now. I want you to just sit back and relax in your chair. I want you to just listen to my voice. (laughs) I want you to close your eyes, drift back. You're no longer the 50-year-old man you are. You're now 40, regressing back to 30. You're getting sleepy. You're drifting back. Now you're 20. Now you're 10, 9, 8, 7 years old. You're now a 7-year-old little Ira Heffler. And little Ira, oh, hello, little Ira. Welcome to the neighborhood. Daddy? 
No, my name is Mr. Rogers. Mr. Hello. Rogers? Welcome to my neighborhood. Thank you. I only got a C-plus on the spelling test, well, and my mom is going to be really disappointed. You're special just the way you are. But, you know, but we've I, never had a Jew on this show before. I, 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 mommy said I'm a kike. <laughs> I'm sure your mommy did not say that, friend. Who are you? <laughs> Who what are you doing here? Hey, lady. You're supposed to be in fantasy land. Now, Ira, <laughs> today we're going to learn how to burn a cross. Like the KKK? Yes. Can I wear a robe? Yes. <laughs> Don't hit me, producer Joey. <laughs> this is this is good. This is good pod right here. Yes, you can wear a robe. It's a white it? robe too. Yes. Oh, Mister Rogers, <laughs> I love you. I feel so special. <laughs> Another you... installment of podcast players. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? Uh... You know what. Robert, I want to offer to edit tonight's episode. <laughs> yeah, I think what? I think I think there's some things that I could do. I think actually every time the podcast players come on, I would like to offer to edit. I like the podcast players. Cool, I'm down with that. You can edit every show. We'll just bring the podcast players back every single time. Um, so what do you think you would have? How would you have reacted to being on the show had you been on Child? Sincerely. If I was that age, yeah. Now we're going back to the fifties, though, not the sixties or seventies, right? With that, yeah. Well, let's that, imagine that right. You were a child. Everything was the same, but instead of well, the 50s. keep in mind, seriously, I used to when my friends were playing baseball, I put on puppet shows. I I actually built a stage out of a cardboard box. I don't think you know this about me. That's and, where you lived, right? Was I, I had a curtain, and I even had opening credits. I had opening credits, and I made my mom and dad, and I actually wrote a script. I wrote a script with the puppets, and I made the puppets from old socks, and Aww. I put on a show. That's adorable. So how about that? And I'm, I'm, that's, so that's why I am the way I am today. And that Aww. explains so much. <laughs> Can I just say, the, the puppet segment of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was always the most boring part to me. I always would change the channel during that segment. I liked watching Mr. Rogers and who he was talking to and that mm -hmm. stuff, but... When it would go to the make-believe land, I was like, all right, I'm going to change. I'll be back in five minutes. Mm. Did you like the, the make-believe land stuff? I have to say that it was, for me, it was less compelling than Mr. Rogers and the fish. What is that? The fish and the traffic light Obviously, and Obviously, we, we were more drawn to the reality. I guess. <laughs> less drawn to the fantasy. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. It is. Yet another little window into Christina's mind. Or Robert's and mind. And my mind. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, what? Are, let's talk money shots. Mm. Um. Any money shots from anybody? I'll I'm, go first. I'll, my money shot, I think I've already talked about that whole sequence when he's in front of, uh, in front of Congress uh, testifying. You're taking more. A man that was yeah. watching, was it a senator? I don't know. Which, a senator senator Pastore. Yeah, but that's right. Pastore. Yeah, yeah, and just watching well. him meld because he was so curt and abrupt and you saw just that sass on his face and like, all right, fuck you. And Mr. Rogers gets up there, starts talking about trust. And then he's kind of like, well... If you want to just read your statement, read it. And then Mr. Rogers says, no, I trust yeah, you. And yeah. then just talk, like says the lyrics to his songs. Mm -hmm. And then watching him just be like, well, I yeah. guess you win. It, 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 he seemed to have had that effect on pretty much everyone. Yeah. 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 It, it's really a, it's, it's interesting because we talk a lot about charisma on the show, but it's a different kind of charisma. Yeah. It's not the same. It's, it's not the same. You know, I, I, I used to teach with a woman that was like this. Uh, she had that same kind of vibe. Mm. And it was weird because when I would talk to my students, I'd be like, why don't you, 
you know, you never do your homework, but you always do your homework for her class. And I'm like, why do you always do your homework for her class and not my class? And they go, because, I mean, could you imagine disappointing her? Could you mm-hmm. imagine not doing your homework and then her being, like, disappointed and sad in you? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck. Like, her personality, it would be like disappointing Mr. Rogers. Mr. Right. Rogers saying, that really hurts my feelings. Like, that would crush you inside. So, What did you guys think of Mr. Rogers' sons? I don't... I think I would like to know more about their life growing up with them. I would like to, too. I mean, they said... That almost seems like a whole new documentary. Yeah, it does. I mean, I I just... I I was a little curious about his family life, I have to say. Were there two sons? There were two. There were two, yeah. I think the fact that he says, you know, uh, basically growing up... With the second Jesus. Jesus, Yeah, second Jesus as as your dad. I know. What a true line. I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's like one thing... It's one thing to have a persona that, you know, and then to have to live with that persona every day. I'd love to hear stories about him getting angry and stuff. I'm yeah. sure he has. Well, they said that they, he he switched to the uh, to the Elaine voice, you know, the, right. or Harriet voice, right? The, the king. To, to let off some steam. Yeah, yeah. That would that would be creepy. Yeah, yeah. Would, well, yeah, I told you, yeah, he's creepy. Well, what do you think, well, Ira? Uh, yeah. What's your money shot? I have two, and uh, the first one actually is with the boy, not the kid in the wheelchair, but earlier in the movie. And the puppet, and I was really moved by that beat where um, the boy waved with his with his index his finger. I remember that. That yeah. was, yeah, yeah. That was quite a, a the bond. The connection was really palpable. For what me. was really interesting in that scene was I kept, I kept thinking because the boy's talking about his dead cat, right? Right. And you could tell like he was looking at the puppet, but he was also kind of looking at Mister Rogers. And the boy knew the secret, you know. And he knew he was just right at that age where I know. That this puppet is actually you, but the boy made a choice. Like I'm yes. gonna play along. Yes, I'm go with it. I was thinking that that the kid is right in between as far as age. That surely he knows that it's not the puppet is not really a living thing. But the boy jumped on board anyway. Yeah, he jumped on board anyway and went with it, and it was it was healthy. And this gesture, I'm gesturing my 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 index finger right now, was really a powerful beat in the film. It was like it was like he was. The boy was embracing his own childhood. You know, like, let me be a kid. Yeah. And yeah. it was really yeah, nice. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the other, Robert, I did have down, the John Pastore. This was a Senate subcommittee, I suppose, for appropriations for public broadcasting. And I heard about this a lot. And it's also is on, on YouTube. And uh, John Pastore was kind of a, a gruff curmudgeon kind of guy. And we were laughing in the audience thinking, this isn't going to go well. This isn't going to go well. And especially when the senator says, well, do you want to read that 12-minute document? No, I'd rather. And all of a sudden, it went the other way. It went 180 degrees the other way for, for uh, government funding for PBS, for uh, for public broadcasting system. That, too, that sequence was quite wonderful to see. That was my second money shot. All right. Christina, what about you? I, I I was really struck with the shot. He has such a special relationship to the piano. I was really struck with the opening shot of him playing the piano and mm-hmm. talking about um, his philosophy. Modulations. Yeah. Um, modulating. <laughs> the part uh, where he's like, oh, this might be I'm too philosophical. Too deep. I know. Exactly, yeah. I know. And I was like, yes. But that was but really. Go. But yeah, I was like, but yeah. I mean, that was that was like when he did that. I was like, man, look at the footage they got on this one. Like it's that it's. There was so much interesting and, use of the word modulation. Yeah, yeah, an yeah. Choice. and like, and I also liked. I really liked the moment when um, uh, Yo-Yo Ma said he put his face like a couple of inches from my face, and he scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Like I was like, yes, I can imagine that he would be like a little 
for children, very calming, but for grown-ups, a little like off-putting. But so I, I, I liked I liked a lot of the archival footage and a lot of the interviews. They were great. I think one of the other money shots for me was him feeding the fish in the silence. When they were trying to show the silence, that yeah, for me that was, was interesting. really interesting. It was just interesting. How much he loved that silence. It, it it really does, even in that era, it takes some balls to, to do because just not saying anything. It definitely, it, it's one of those things where I think that that's something that we're drifting into now with children, like trying to give them the time to think and not, like, you know, it's, it's part, it comes, the concern about screen time, the concern about so many things, like being bombarded with stimulation and how do you give children a chance to be stimulation free. Mm-hmm. But that was really something that he understood and really valued and really mm-hmm. practiced. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's a, there's some. There's um, really a lot to this, Mr. Rogers. Was it the same Daniel the Tiger the entire time? Was it the same puppet, or did he have multiple puppets? I assume multiple puppets. Because, well, I thought so too, but and when And then you, they had it in the, in at the, 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 end, in the, in the last case. It was dirty as hell at the I end. I know, but like, the, how many episodes did they do? They did like 700 or something? But if you look at it... But they th- could have washed it, I guess. I guess, but it was getting progressively dirtier and more it and more did. frayed. I don't know, maybe it is the same one. Maybe that would be incredible one. if there was just one puppet the entire time. Could you imagine doing, like, there only being one Kermit the Frog the entire time? It'd be like, what the fuck? Like, really? You, you a, know there's got to be more of those, right? Right. What an object. Kermit's a puppet? <laughs> oh, dear. Go back to your cardboard box. <laughs> um, how anti-wave is this movie? Yes. Yes. That's a, I think this is... I love that. I'm ready. Yeah. What's their anti-scale? Okay, okay, well, let me just say again, the same two elements from last week's documentary that, number one, it's Harold a document- and Lillian. Yeah, Harold and Lillian. Number one, this is a documentary. It tends to be anti-wave. And number two, this is also about a, a, a maverick personality. A maverick personality. Right. Someone who went against the grain and did it his own way. That's quite anti-wave, too. It's not an extreme anti-wave movie, but I'm still comfortable giving it like a, a, a 7.7. Mm. Okay, Christina, what do you think? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna drift into Ira's realm here, and I'm gonna go eight. I think that. I think that there was. There was a lot. The idea to portray ideas, I think, is quite. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, so delightful! And then, and then the. I think that the way that the, the the what we talked about the issues that they brought out, and also the ending. I think that there was, and and just the focus on Mr. Rogers itself. I, there was just so much I liked about this film. Um, so I would say eight. I would agree. I think this is this is an eight on the anti scale. I think again, some of the things that they like, like you just mentioned, um, things we've talked about before, being the the controversial parts of his life that they could have very easily left out and painted a more flattering picture, but yeah. they in- included instead. And I think that's a, that's really ballsy. Yeah, like the skits, like all the all the spoofs. Right, you know? right. Mister Robinson's neighborhood with yes. Eddie Murphy. Yes, and. You know, I think that's there, there's some really bold choices in the film, and also the there was the animation throughout the kind mm-hmm. of uh, that they kind of kept coming back to, and I really like the trolley, the shots of mm. the trolley that mm-hmm. were yes, that beautifully was very, shot. That was very evocative. How you have the trolley going for a ride, and then at the end you see the trolley with all the weeds. Yeah, and it almost. I mean, I think that this film was quite political. Um, you know, there's at, at the end of the, you know, I mean, obviously it's a political film, but like at the end, there's like nobody says the word Trump exactly, but it's coloring literally every single 
every single interview at the end. It's sort of like, well, in the conditions now and these days. And I mean, I think the trolley, that shot of the trolley with all the weeds, it's almost inviting you. And I mean, there is Daniel Tiger right now on, on television, but it's almost inviting you to Harken back restore. to that time. Yeah. yeah, to get, you know, get rid of the weeds. To make America great again. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. But, you know, get that trolley back on the tracks. I mean, that really is what the, that shot sort of invites you to do. There was a really sort of a push there in the whole documentary to bring back some of these values. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think um, I think one of the other things of, I, I really just, uh, not necessarily that it's anti, but I really like the fact that they talked about his his beginnings of, of wanting to become a, a pastor and getting involved in, yeah. in the clergy and all that. And I thought that was, that was an interesting. When, when he was, when he was, uh, when there was some feet washing and some, I was like, yeah, I, that, started, that a little I, religious. Started, I started to think, I started to think about back to the uh, Pope Francis movie. And I was like, Oh, more feet washing. Ira must be so excited. <laughs> I, Ira, do you think the creepiness of Mr. Rogers, you expressed before when we talked about Pope Francis, that, Organized religion kind of creeps you out a it little does. bit. It does. It just does. It could be any religion, but the whole notion of a mass of people sitting in a room reading aloud from a book, any book, scares me because there's a mob mentality. How about, how about a whole bunch of people sitting looking at a screen? Is that is that scary? Wow. I see where you're going with that. That's very interesting. I, I completely agree with you, Christina. I mean, I... Well, you're saying watching a movie. What's the difference? The difference is that in this holy book, it's telling us from where we came, how to be a good person. Oh, come on Morals, now. heaven, and hell. But you don't There's think films do that? Some do. Most not do. All, not most. Oh, please. Not most. Some, some, some. That's the difference. That it, with religion... You name a movie that does not do that. Name a movie that doesn't. A movie that doesn't preach the gospel or doesn't no, not, religion? No, not directly, or? but talk about our morals. And uh, talk it's about, a mad, 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 mad world. Uh, there's there's theft. I mean, the people who are trying... Actually, he gets away with it at the yeah, end. Yeah, the people who are greedy and things like that are punished throughout that He gets that away with it at the end. He does. But he I does. think there's still a moral there. There's no moral in Mad, Mad, Mad World? I think it's just a comedy. I mean, even... I think it's just simply an entertainment. I'm not sure if there's a core message there. And um, Sure there is. No, uh, the the elderly police chief who steals the money does get away at the end, but, uh, but everybody else doesn't, right? I mean, there was a big fight for everybody yeah, else, a fight or something. But it's a very—I really appreciate what you just brought up, and I still feel that in a congregation with reading a book aloud, standing, sitting in unison, say it aloud, stand, sit in unison, stand—it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Would it make you feel more comfortable if they were your words? <laughs> Probably I'm not yes. that much of Megla. Hey, I'm not that. <laughs> no, much no, of but I mean, it, it, but it, it's it's interesting because I mean, I I can understand that. Speaking of the documentary, that the fact that Mr. Rogers comes from sort of a from a sort of a ministry background and he is you know an ordained minister, right? Yeah, Wasn't he ordained? I think so. And and you know he has this particular mission. I I can understand that there's there's an aspect of what he does where it seems like he's proselytizing a little bit, and I can see that how that would make you uncomfortable. But at the same time, like. Any television show, any film, I mean, it's basically people talking at you and a mob sitting there, whether it's in reality but a physical mob. But it's not mob. threatening you with fire and brimstone. Well. It's not, you guys. And there's the distinction. So I see. I see. So it's the, it's the threat and it's the. It's not threatening not all, you with not eternal It's not all organized hell. religion is like that. I mean, there's. 
there's a lot of religions where they're they don't believe in a hell everyone goes to heaven that would make you feel better if it was like hey look you're gonna go to heaven no matter what but let's I just be- get i get anxious with a code of ethics and from where we came and a behavior pattern of, of morality spelled out and this is the way it is and this is the way it's to be everybody read in unison now but that's society. Like everybody drive that. in unison. Everybody learn in unison. I mean, that's I what we do. I wish everybody would drive in unison. I wish too. But, <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's, that's just society. Everything we do is in unison. Watch TV in unison. Discuss. I mean, that's what we do. Watch and you said discuss. Week, discuss. And there's the key word. Because in a church, you're not, from what I understand, there's no room for... Dis- you know what? When I used to, My parents forced me to go to Sunday school, and my favorite part was the sermon. Not reading from a book aloud, but the sermon about ideas and issues. There could be discussion. I'm fine with that. With the but sermon? Yeah, yeah. Because that's... It's more relevant. Or like you've heard me say before, it's so much more meaningful to take a group of kids and, and, and climb a hill and bring some bread and some wine and read The Great Gatsby and talk about what it means to you. That's individual thought. That gets the synapses firing. I think you have a miscon- Reading, uh, I think you misconstrued what happens in church because you don't maybe. just stand there and read from the Bible. No. Yeah, I think, I think no. maybe... I think maybe um, We'll take you to church, Ira. I think, I think we all need to go to church. <laughs> That's clearly what's going Bring on. Bring Ira to church. Oh, dear. I mean, you'll burst into flames immediately, but, you know, it'll still be fun. Um, all right. Well, hey, that did it for Won't You Be My Neighbor. Let's move on, shall we? Hey, we got a game today, right? All right, Producer Joe's got a game. What game are we playing? We're playing Real or Unreal. All right, Ira, do you want to you want to read this one? Should I read it? Or right. some? Okay. You want to do this week's? Why don't you do it, Robert? You do it. Huh. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're going to change up real or unreal a little bit. So here's how the new rules to the game. <clears throat> Producer Joey has created, uh, how many mo- movies you got here? Four, four movies. And we don't know whether any of these movies are real or unreal. So right. I'm going to read off the description. And afterward, we need to figure out, is this movie real or is this movie unreal? All right. So the first movie is The New Neighbor. I'm sensing a, already I'm sort of sensing theme. a, a yes, theme. Yes, I think we, we know where this yeah. is going. Donald moves into a new home and discovers his new neighbor is a slob, a mooch, and has a dog that comes crashing through the fence and digging in Donald's garden. Eventually, it escalates into full-scale war with crowds cheering and TV coverage. The new neighbor. Real or unreal? Hmm. Any thoughts? What do you think, Ira? I'm going to take a stab and say real. Real? Christina, what what do you think? I think I think Joey's descriptions are better than that. So I'm gonna go. <laughs> that could be very I'm insulting go, if it's no, actually no. hers. Well, if it is, it could be, but I don't know. It does. I mean, I, it's true. It could be an off description, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with real. I'm gonna make it interesting and say unreal. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say she purposely wrote this poorly. That's okay. what I think. All, All right. right, what is it? Real or unreal? Real. Ah, it is real. Tina, we did it. Ira, high five. High five. All right, you guys are up one nothing. Here we go. Next one. My neighbor, my killer. Oh, dear. The people of Rwanda attempt to reconcile after the genocide through an open process of admission and forgiveness. That sounds like a documentary. Oof. Man, that's got to be real. I'm going real on that that one for sure. That sounds way too specific. What do you think, Ira? I agree, all three of us. All three of us are going to say real. Yeah. yeah, it is real. All right, All right. good. Yeah. All right, the next one. <clears throat> Welcome to the neighborhood. Four college friends stop to pick up a friend in a small town neighborhood on their spring break road trip 
and the neighbors decide that they're exactly what the small town needs and won't let him go. Welcome to the neighborhood. What do you think? Hmm. Real or unreal? Christina, what do you think? I don't... Real? Unreal? I'm going to say unreal. Uh, you are, aren't you? Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I'm actually going to go the other way and say unreal as well. Unreal? All right, so Christina says real. No, I'm going to go unreal too. We're all going all unreal. three unreal? Yeah. It is unreal. All right, unreal. nicely done, guys. I think you guys are going to beat me on this one. All right, last one. How to kill your neighbor's dog. The story of a chain-smoking, impotent, insomniac playwright who lives in Los Angeles. Oh. Once very successful, he is now in the 10th year of a decade-long string of production failures. He finds himself bonding with a new neighbor's lonely young daughter who has a mild cerebral, cerebral palsy. And during one of his midnight, midnight, middle-of-the-night strolls, he encounters his oddball doppelganger. His oddball How to dog. kill your neighbor's dog. Real or unreal? Huh. What do you think, Christina? I mean, I wouldn't watch it, but like... <laughs> Unreal? Unreal? What do you think, Ira? I have to excuse myself from this particular one. Yeah? You've seen it? Well, I, I have the DVD. I, I've seen it. I saw it in the theater. Yeah. This is you real. Did? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw this in the theater. Really? This is oh. a good movie, actually. Yeah. No, really? Yeah, it actually is pretty good. Did yeah, you like may, it? May I tell you something? Yeah. Why, the reason I bought the DVD? Why? I had a neighbor with a yapping dog at 2, 3, 4, and 5 <laughs> in the morning. I went, I bought the DVD. I went over there three times, and they, she wouldn't cooperate. She said, deal with it. Bah, 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 bah. We called the police. We called animal control. And then I ended up bought the DVD. And, and left it on her front doorstep? With a dart, I put it right and left it on the door. You know, so that's why I bought the DVD. Wow. How to Kill Your Neighbor's Dog. There's another side to me. That's why I need there's another there's a nice side to you. That's why I need church. <sighs> <laughs> I'm surprised to hear that there's a nice side. Um, this is real. Right? Yeah, it's real. Yeah, this yeah. is a real movie. Yeah. And wasn't it with Kenneth Branagh or something like that? Look, look that up, Joey. Joey, I, I think it's somebody pretty big in it. Really? Somebody like that. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. It's a good movie. Mm, all right. Good. Pass. Pass. Pass on that seeing that film. Wow. Missing out. Hey, Ira, who's yeah. dead this week? Hey, gotta tell you, unfortunately we must, the following people, they, they, they done turned to dust. Following people passed away. We lost 96-year-old American actor William Edward Phipps, P-H-I-P-P-S. He was the voice in Disney's Cinderella oh. in 1950. He was a small bit part actor in The War of the Worlds. And you guys, he was also starring in a movie I don't think any of you heard of called Five, F-I-V-E. It was a real bad B science fiction movie about the five people left on planet Earth. Yeah. And I happened to see it. He was the star of that movie. So um, uh, he died at 95 years of age. Mm. And uh, and that's it. And and Kirk Douglas, he died too. Those hey, are the two people. He died last The week. dead corner. All right. Hey, you want to do some top five? Top five. Top five. Let's do it and hit it, Vern. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. Top five this week is top five neighbors. Christina, you want to kick us off or no? Sure. All top right. five neighbors. What's your number five? Um, okay, the first one that occurred to me was The Truman Show. The Truman Show, all <laughs> the right. The Truman Show. It's like you think you have neighbors, but actually you don't. Wow. That's interesting. Well, you, you turned it inside out, didn't you? That's There are no neighbors. Right? You think you have neighbors? No. They're all By actors. the way, it's a hell of a movie. I love that film. Hmm. Nicely done. 
All right. Yeah. My number five is from 1990. And I think this counts as a neighbor. Um, but to be honest, she, she didn't live next to him when where he lived, but she lived next to where he wrote. The 1990s Misery with Kathy Bates. She was the neighbor who saved him on the way back from his... Uh, remember, she moved into that little cabin so she could be near where he wrote. And, uh, and then when he crashes, she saves him and then tries to... Well, she hobbles him. Makes him right. Kathy Bates, man. Yeah. Tour de yeah. force in that movie. Absolutely. As she is in many movies. Yeah. Yeah. Ira, what's nice. number five? My number five, you guys, 1997. This is Jack Nicholson and, and Helen Hunt. And it's um, it's the um, wait. What is the name of this? As good as it gets. As good as it as gets. As good as it gets. And it's actually the B story. But next door, the gay artist neighbor, and he. It's more than the B story. He becomes quite important because he's got the dog that Jack Nicholson's character takes care of, and um, and puts down the garbage chute. Yes. So he's. Uh, that's my number five choice for. I haven't seen the movie in so long. I need to go back and check it out. I liked it. I've seen it two or three times. It's been a long time since I've seen it. They both won Oscars, didn't they? Yeah, I think I so. I think they both won Best Actor. Mm. All right. Christina, um, number four. Number four. I, I was trying to think of, I was like, oh my gosh, there must be so many New York movies with like crazy neighbors. And like, I just kept going through. So I went back to one from 1942. My sister, Eileen, I'm guessing... Neither of you have ever seen this My film. My sister Eileen. My sister Eileen. Mm-hmm. It's um, no. based on uh, some short stories that were written by Ruth McKenney, who um, they were published in the New Yorker, and it's basically about a journalist who moves with her sister from Ohio to try to make it in journalism in New York, and they get an apartment in Greenwich Village, and you know there's construction outside. They're crazy neighbors. They're always wandering through. They get embroiled in so many things that are happening in the building, and it's just. It's just kind of what happens when you move to a new city and you are in completely unfamiliar surroundings. So I, I have a, I have a bit of a soft spot. It's Rosalind Russell, so I have a soft spot for that film. All right, what, my, was it my cousin Eileen? What was it? My sister, my Eileen. sister Eileen. My number four is a film uh, that Christina would hate. No oh, good. But Ira, you might enjoy this film. It is the American version and the uh, the foreign version. Although I can't remember what country it's from, is also really really good. They're both great movies, but I like the American version just a little bit more. Let Me In, the uh, vampire movie. It's about a boy whose next door neighbor is a vampire. She's like a little, she's in a girl's body, but turns out to be a, a vampire who's like 100 years old. And, That's cool. Um, it's a great movie. And I think you might, if I you could suffer. I think it sounds really interesting. Yeah. There is some child endangerment, though, because bullies yeah. that try to pick on the kid wind up getting killed by I the vampire. I don't mind that so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great movie, and um, and the foreign film is also really really nice. Both of them are really great movies, huh, so check them out. Huh, Ira, nice. My number four. It's a movie we've spoken about in previous podcasts. To Kill a Mockingbird. Scout is there, right. and we said that the neighbor does not have to be next door, but in the neighborhood. Boo, right. boo, yeah. boo, Radley. Yep. What's that guy all about? In that famous right near the end. Hey, boo. I love the way she says, "Hey, boo." Uh, Gregory Peck won the Oscar. For this film, 1962, To Kill a Mockingbird. All right, nice. Christina? Um, I tried to think of, six, like, neighbors who do good. And, like, the scene I thought about was from It's a Wonderful Life, 1946, where the neighbors, like, try to give him money at the end. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that's kind of your neighborhood fantasy that, like, if you were down on your luck, like, everybody would help you. I yeah, think... I thought about that. It was hard for me to think of 
good neighbors. It yeah, was really easy too. for me to think of bad yes. neighbors. Me too. I, I, I was, that's actually why I was like, I thought of something, but I've mentioned the film before. I, I thought of another film. But I was like, yeah, where, where is like there really truly a community, a positive community that's yeah. shown on film? I was having trouble too. Hmm. Is that weird? Yeah. Huh. All right. Uh, my number three is a movie that last week I tried to get in there, but I couldn't do it. But this week I can <laughs> in America. Because the neighbor yeah. was the painter. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Oh, that's funny. Got so it that in. was the movie that was ousted from yeah. your five of last yeah, week. Yeah, but I got it in here. Well, you got it in. You wedged nice. it in, Robert. Thank goodness. All right. In America, check it out. It's a great movie about an Irish family that immigrates into America and uh, in, in the early 90s. And it it's such a great... T- have you seen it, Christina? I have, yeah. It's so... It, I feel like that's a film you would really so, enjoy. I, I did like it, yeah. Yeah. Ara? Nice. Okay, my number, my number three, 1996. Neighbor, the first character I'm about to mention isn't really living there, but she's there a lot because Gina Gershon works as a painter and a plumber in that apartment building and in the same complex as <laughs> Jennifer Tilly. So I'm thinking, well, she's there 24-7. Is this Bound? Yes, of course it is. <laughs> this okay. is Bound. Have you seen it? Uh, I don't remember if I've seen it. I know what it's about. I know I saw it when I was 13. It's a hell of a movie. Yeah, it It, it is. It really, really is a hell of a movie. I probably rented it all the time from the the movie store. Yes, it got worn down. Yeah, I know. And uh, with with Gina and Jennifer. And a lot of uh, gay lesbian stuff. And but it's 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 a fascinating film. It's compelling. It is good. I want to say that I saw it, but I don't remember it very well. So again, even though Gina's not living that a complex, she's she's there 24-7 as a plumber painter. I'll take that. Thank you. You're counting that one? Good. Bound is my number... Three. All right. Nice. Christina? Um, my sister Eileen was kind of a, and it's a wonderful life. Those are sort of the positive moments. Then things got really dark. I was always thinking about like success, neighbors where everybody jumps in to help. Then I thought about like failure of neighbors. Mm-hmm. So I went to High Noon in 1952. Oh, that's um, nice. Oh, wow. That's okay. You know, because nice. it's like, you know, there they, you know, there he is. Frank Miller's getting out of jail. He's coming to, you know, and nobody will stand up with him. Yeah. And it's like, it, that is a true failure of community. Yeah. Kudos to you. Doesn't one person stand up with him, though? Ultimately, ultimately, there are some people who stand up with him, but not really. What a great film. That movie, I it love holds that up film. so well. I, uh, honestly, it's one, of my, it's one of my favorite films. Yeah. Hein, and, you know, I always say this, but, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who did, did all the Westerns, usually. Um, John Wayne was very upset that yes. he didn't get the role, right? Yes. There were actually political reasons why. Isn't that correct? There was an issue about uh, politics. Something like that. I can't but recall. what a movie. I would normally break into Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, but I'll spare you. Thank you. Mm. Can you spare us for the next few episodes? Hey. All right. My number two is a movie from 2010, and it's where she might have gotten her start in a few other movies, but Jennifer Lawrence did a really great film in 2010 about a girl back in the backwoods of Kentucky, I want to say, whose dad dies, and all of the neighbors back up in the holler, she's got to produce a dead body to prove that her dad is dead, otherwise they're going to lose the house, and all of the neighbors are um, not willing, they're very tight-lipped, not willing to tell her what happened to her dad, but 2010's Winter's Bone, where she's trying to find out what happened to her dad Mm. uh, so that she can basically save her brothers and sisters and keep the house, and it's a really great kind of um uh, i don't know like deliverance kind of backwoods community where they're like willing to kill people that kind of thing and she's got to kind of play the the personalities of that community and those neighbors are not very friendly Hmm. nice all right nice 
What do you got, Ira? My number two, American Beauty. 1999, we have Kevin Spacey and Ed Benning. Of course, the next... That was Chris Cooper. I forgot that was... That was Chris <laughs> he's Cooper. He's great. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and so he's the drill sergeant who, who's gay. And, of course, he's got that son who's obsessed with video recording. Yeah. And, uh, he man, collects, he I mean... He collects the Nazi plates. Talk, yeah, 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 yeah. Talk about a movie about a neighbor. Uh, that's my number two. American... Great cinematography in that film. Great I music also. Man. Christina, what's your number one? Number one, um... Another neighbor problem of a different sort, The Garden of the Fincy Contini's. The whoa, 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 whoa. I've never the even heard of this movie. The Garden of the Fincy Contini's, 1970, Victoria De Sica. Okay. It's an Italian film. Um, the Fincy Contini's are a very rich, aristocratic Jewish family. Um, and they have this great garden and tennis courts. And, you know, everybody in the neighborhood comes over and, you know, they, are, they host so many families in the neighborhood. And then World War II happens. And by the end of the film, um, all their neighbors have been killed and like shipped off to concentration camps. And it's about just the decimation of the Jewish population in this wow. town. And they're taken off at the end too. It's a very, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a lyrical and very um, dark film. Tragic. Very tragic. Well, I want to see that. That sounds it's, interesting. It's a, it's a beautiful film. Beautiful. My number one is a movie I remember seeing in the theater and not knowing anything about. I walked in, watched it, and was blown away. And I felt, I felt a little sh- sense of ownership over it because <laughs> no one else I knew at that time had seen the movie. And I told everyone, you must go see, in 1999, Arlington Road. Hmm. And the neighbors in Arlington Road, if you haven't seen it, oh my gosh, what fucked up neighbors. Wow. And it's a great, great movie. I had it in my scoops. Did you? My scoops, yeah. yeah. Did you like that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that movie's great. Yeah. It's pretty brilliant the way they pieced mm-hmm. everything together. All right. Ira, what's your number one? My number one. By the way, it looks like there's going to be no overlapping. You didn't pick that? Arlington Road as your number one? No, I didn't. No, it was a scoop. You didn't pick it as number one, though? Well, no, but it was a scoop. Oh. Yeah, my number one. Rear window. Mm. Yeah, that was almost my number five. That was your yeah? Because I was like, man, this guy is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> 1959, obviously Hitchcock, Jimmy Stewart, and Grace Kelly. Uh, it's a mystery thriller, and of course he's what is he? He's a, a photographer with a broken leg in that's a wheelchair. Right. What at a least clever... that's, that's his excuse. Yeah, it, sure. or yeah, yes. Uh, I also I I'm sorry. Were you done talking no, about? Yeah, it? yeah. I was gonna. It's my. Fa- it's one of my favorite Hitchcock. Is movies. it really? It, is yeah, it? oh. it's like my top three. Really? If I think of Hitchcock. You're yeah. surprised to hear that? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I thought it might be something else. Yeah. I, I think it would be like Psycho. Vertigo. I would think it would be oh, like Vertigo. Oh, Vertigo. I could see that being Iris. Yeah, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, I could see that. But no, I was oh, wrong. Rear window. You know. Okay. Um, I almost picked The Professional because Natalie Portman's character does oh live God. next door to Leon. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've picked that too much, so I couldn't, yeah, couldn't I had, include that. I, even in my short time with you guys, I had to eliminate a couple where I was like, you already said that. Yeah. Stop. No. And uh, a couple other movies, you know, I almost put Big in there because his best friend does, you know, live Live in this neighborhood. But I was like, I don't feel like that's really a movie about neighbors. It's really about being friends. I feel like that was stretching a little too far. Uh, The Girl Next Door you mentioned, and that was uh, on my list, but I just, you're only limited to five. Mm. And then the neighbor who comes over in Uncle Buck, uh, and I think, was it? Who's the woman who plays the 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 sister on Roseanne the TV? She just uh, she just went. She was nominated for um, what's her name? Uh, I know who you mean. Laurie Metcalf. Yes, I think didn't she play the she sister? I think that's who it is. Anyway, 
the, the sister that comes over, or the the neighbor that comes over and, and is like getting all up into Buck's business when he's doing the washing machine. It's one of the greatest scenes from Uncle Buck. It's a really great scene. Anyway, those are some of my scoops. Nice. I had Rosemary's Baby, but we I spoke about it recently, but I also had that as a I scoop. thought about it too because we talked about it. No. I was yeah. like, oh, Rosemary's Baby. And again, it know. supports the premise that the neighbors are evil. Yeah. It's hard to come up with a movie good where the neighbors, neighbors are... Good neighbors hard to find. Yeah, good neighbors are hard to find. Yeah. Uh, all right, hey, we did it. Woot. We did it. Woot, woot. Hey, I do want to make a very special announcement. That's right. Guess I was what? Gonna, I was going to I was gonna be like, You're going to remind me? Yeah, I was. Yeah, guess what? We're going to do a live show, Ira. Oh. Do you know when we're doing the live show? I, I do. When I, are we doing the live I, show, I, Ira? I, I, I'm going to tell you, it's it's next month. I hear those papers <laughs> rustling. I gave you the sheet. Wait, you got th- just I a think sec. we should make Ira promise to sing all his... No, I think we should not. <laughs> The last bookstore on Sunday, July 8th, will be there at 6 o'clock. And for all of our uh, Los Angeles listeners, come on down. Yeah. That would be so great. If you're in the downtown Los Angeles area on July 8th, yeah, at 6 o'clock, we're going to be at the last bookstore downtown. Come on down, look at some books, listen to a podcast, yell at us, sing along with Ira, and hold... Christina's hand or something. I don't know. But Hold my hand? Yeah. I, That's okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but come down and uh, come down and check out the last bookstore. Yeah, we'll be doing a live Support. show. So uh, you'll hear all the downtown cacophony there instead of the cacophony here. Cacophony. I think I've said cacophony too much. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Impressive. Um, so yeah, we've got that going on. As for us, if you have any suggestions or comments and um, and movies that you would like for us to review or games that we should play, be sure to send us an email and you can send us those emails at robert at money shot podcast. And what the hell? Whoa. It's Whoa. been weeks and weeks and weeks since you've been that's, that. the, that's the old that's, email address. That's, that's robert at antiwavepodcast.com. We used to have a bet on I who think was I owe you I five think you owe me Ira. something. Yeah. Ira? Uh, and slash or Ira at antiwavepodcast.com. <laughs> This is this is fascinating. Christina also at antiwavepodcast.com. Okay, uh, or you can send us a tweet or an Instagram message directly through at antiwavepod. That's correct. That's the correct one. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. And we're all over the place, aren't right. we, Robert? We're, we're yeah. iTunes, we're on that Stitcher. Is, truer we're, words have never been spoken. I <laughs> we really are. We're all we over are, the place. We are all over the place. Yes, we're on Stitcher. You can find us anywhere, including on our website. Yeah. We've done this before. <laughs> All right. If you want to check out our film, 30 Love, Iron I Made a Movie, it's streaming on Amazon Prime. You can also check it out on iTunes, or you can go to 30lovefilm.com and uh, buy the DVD and get 10% off on those DVD with all the, the extra specials and Blu-ray discs, all of that. 10% off if you type in anti-wave, Good. so do that. Yeah. Whew. Let's thank producer Joey for doing a bang-up job Yay. there, yeah? Woo, 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 woo. Why are you clapping so hard for yourself? You always do that. She deserves it. Yeah, she does. And our, and we should thank our guests, too. Yes, and let's also thank uh, Graham, Graham Willoughby. Willoughby. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing that right. Graham Willoughby. Cinematographer. All right. So thank you, Graham, for coming on the show. You were, uh, you were a delight. So I guess until next time. Keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. I love you. I feel so special.